All right, good morning, everybody. This morning we'll be in Psalms 49 and 50. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, 49 and 50. We'll pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning that we're able to dive in and let it change us from the inside out. Um, the singing that we've done so far to prepare our hearts um, has brought healing and encouragement and it, at a very minimum has caused us to focus on you this morning, to let the things of the world grow dim and uh, that you become in focus. And uh, that's what we want. We want to know you better. Um, some may want to know you for the first time. Um, we want to know. And that's why we're here is to learn of you, to be more like you, to be conformed uh, into your image, because um, that's best in Jesus' name. Amen. The psalmist here in 49 and 50 kind of builds upon what we left off with last week. He, I don't know that it was discouraging, but for some people it was. It's not to me. Uh, I guess I'm past it. He left off with verse 14 of last week with talking about death. And uh, that's very disconcerting for a lot of people. And, 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 and I understand that. Um, I grew up in, with, with someone in my life that was absolutely terrified of death when I grew up. And, I mean, they couldn't get past it. They had so much worry and anxiety over it that they, they just could not stop thinking about the fact that they were going to die. And for some reason, that's never, it's never affected me that much in the sense that um, it wasn't a surprise to me. You know, I had seen it, um, been around it, um, knew it was coming. I mean, nobody was excited about the, the day or the how, maybe, <laughs> it's going to happen to us. But the, the fact that we can walk around as a society and not talk about it a lot more than we do and not accept it a whole lot more than we do. It's it's uh, it's it's willful ignorance, and, and it's it's bothersome to me. Um, not to give a lecture on how we should feel about it or, or or what, but we we certainly understand that none of us in this room are escaping this place alive. That shouldn't be a shock to us. I think uh, probably preaching to the choir here for the most part, people that have come to know Jesus Christ have come to that awareness that, yeah, we don't live forever, no matter, you know, best case scenario, 120 in some cases, you know, maybe there's a guy or gal somewhere in the world at the one a little higher than that, I don't know, but you don't make it to 150. I mean, even with, even with sprouts and, and some sort of exercise or whatever, and, 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 and clean living, whatever that looks like, um, and so being prepared for death is, is very, very important. And um, that's why I like funerals. It's the best opportunity to, to talk to a crowd about where they're going to be in the box behind me in the next 50 years to 60 years, depending on how old they are. Um, everybody's very aware of the, whoever it is, is right there, you know, and uh, they were moving and now they're not moving anymore. And, and to try to... Um, detach yourself from that. It's, it's impossible. <laughs> and so I capitalize on that. I let them know you will be here too. You're right. You're thinking correctly. You can't escape that with, uh, you know, binge watching Netflix and, and, and alcohol and drugs or whatever it is that you've you know, grabbed onto to distract your mind from the inevitable. You need to think about that. You need to be prepared for this. And so this entire book is designed for that. Our relationship with Jesus is it's just that. Jesus talked about that more than anything else. He came as a rescue mission because everybody was going to die, and his concern was where they were going to be when they died. And so that's why we embrace him, and it's the most logical thing. 
It's the most illogical thing to think otherwise. And we've gone over that several times and probably won't get into it too much today, but we could. Psalm 49 just builds upon that, builds upon the futility of um, building whatever it is that we build here on this earth with this life on things that we're not taken with us or things that get passed on to other people thinking we can escape. So verse one, hear this, all peoples give ear, all inhabitants of the world. So that kind of covers everybody. (laughs) He wants to make sure none of you are excluded from this. Both low and high, rich and poor together, my mouth shall speak wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall give understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will disclose my dark saying on the harp. Let me put my dark thoughts to song for you, you know? And dark, what he means is these are the things that we keep in the back of our mind. These are the things we don't focus on so much, and he's going to bring these things out in the open. Um, which is what God does. He brings light to things. He brings it out in the open. He brings our sin out in the open. He lets us know, look, this is why I came to die on the cross for your sins. We're separated. God says to us, we're not okay. We are separated. That desire of yours for me is because you don't sense me in your life. Because we have a problem and we need to talk about it. All of us have had that experience with relationships with people in our lives. It's a very simple process. We take it for granted, but it happens to every one of us. Husband and wife aren't talking. Why? Well, because something's happened. He, he usually, sometimes she, but he usually has said something stupid. And that can't get, we can't have that fellowship, that looking at each other's eyes and walking hand in hand down the, the dirt road together in the country. That's not going to happen until we get this right. We need to talk about something first. We can't just ignore it. And our God is very clear on that with us. Why do I feel Like there's a little distance here. Like there's not this great buddy-buddy relationship. Because we got to talk about something. You're living in sin. You're doing things that aren't pleasing to me. I I am love. I am grace. I am mercy. I am honesty. I don't steal. I don't murder. I don't commit adultery. There's a lot of things God doesn't do. And when we do those things, we're not in fellowship with him. There's a relationship brokenness that takes place there. And so this guy's going to write a song to us about these dark sayings, about these problems that we have, and that we need to get these things right with God. That's what he's here to do. That's what Jesus came to do. So he says, I'm going to listen to a proverb. I'm going to, I'm going to incline my ear to a proverb. Proverbs is a wonderful book. So it's an amazing book. It's it's 31 chapters long. You could read one every single day and and get through it 12 times in a year if you wanted to. And Proverbs is nothing but wisdom. Sometimes it's pretty choppy. They just move from one thought to the next, verse after verse. But you read through that, you're going to get wisdom if you listen to it, if you pay attention to it. You're going to live better. You're going to understand things. You're going to understand people. You're going to understand God. And so he says, I'm going to incline my ear to a proverb, and I'm going to disclose a dark saying, something I've discovered. As I've gone through these Proverbs, he says. Um, He says, why should I fear in the days of evil? When the iniquity uh, at my heels surrounds me, I'm surrounded by sin. Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, 
None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. Or the redemption of, the, of their souls is costly, and it shall cease forever. That he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are. and he, 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 I guess it's easier for them, you know, the meek shall inherit the earth and, and the lowly and, and the humble. And we read about that in scriptures. And so the wealthy, get a, they get a bad rap only because it's a very difficult thing when you're wealthy to not trust in your wealth. And now we're like, well, I'm not wealthy. Well, compared to 99% of the rest of the world, you kind of are. No matter where you are on the totem pole of America, you're at the top of the totem pole worldwide. So like someone in Africa would automatically assume no matter where you are over here, you're at the top. Or if you're in China, you're at the top in America. You know, if you're an American, you've got it. And there's just that understanding there. Um, so we can't, you know, throw ourselves, well, I'm not a rich guy, so this isn't for me. This is for those rich people. Yeah, rich people, listen up. No, it's for us. It is. It's for every one of us. You can't redeem your soul with money. You can't. You can use it properly. You can use it like a tool. You have a good understanding of it. But when you put your trust and your faith in it, then you're, you're in error. You've got problems. Um, it builds in people. Wealth or, or financial security can, if you're not a humble person, if you're not uh, submitted to God, it can build up in your life. Um, it can be its own fortress. You know, I, I reside inside the, my wealth kind of thing. And I will help as much as I can, but I will not jeopardize my fortress at all, you know. And, and that was the struggle for the rich young ruler. Jesus challenged that fortress. That was the idea with that whole story. He didn't really want him to give away all of his money. I mean, that really isn't the point. Although, the guy wouldn't have gone wrong if he had done it. But the challenge was to guy, I know that you say you have this great relationship with God and that you've kept all the commandments from your youth and all that. There's only one thing you lack. I want you to sell everything you own, your fortress, and I want you to come follow me. I want you to be that committed to the cause. I want you to be that committed to me. And that trusting is the key of God. And the guy went away sad. I cannot leave my fortress. I can't do it. I cannot jeopardize the protection that I feel. I cannot do that. It's just not possible. And so when Jesus asked him to do that, he he went away sad, unwilling to trust God. He trusted in his fortune more than he trusted in the Lord. It's a very dangerous place to be. Wealth isn't the problem. Trusting in it is the problem. And that's all this guy's trying to get, get at. You can't do, you can't save yourself. You can't save other people. Now, churches capitalize on this. Certain denominations especially capitalize on this. You know, do you want to get your, your, your friend or your relative out of purgatory? Just buy a mass or buy a couple candles or buy whatever. And we can, that'll take years off of their time in purgatory. I mean, that is, that's marketing right there. Um, that's not true. And that's not biblical. You can't do anything about that. And there is no purgatory. So um, it doesn't exist. It's not biblical. It's made up. And so he's just trying to get across to the rich. You, you think you're going to, you, you've done well. You, you hear people telling you how great you are and how, well, my, you've done well for yourself. And he'll say as much here in a few verses. Well, you've, you've, done, you've done pretty well for yourself there. Um, and, and that is what feeds that person, hearing that from other people. It feeds them. 
And they rely on that. And they need to hear that more and more. And so he says, it's not going to save you. It's not going to help you. Um, death is a great equalizer. Everybody dies. And it's not that I want to be, you know, discouraging Calvary Chapel this morning. But the, the, the point is, it isn't about anything down here. It's about your soul. It's about your spirit and, and, and the, its condition. Um, that's all that matters. You can be rich with a, a conditioned soul, a, a saved spirit, uh, and you have that understanding. You're trusting in Jesus and still be wealthy and use it, and God will continue to bless you and do whatever. That, that can still take place. Um, but your soul and your spirit is, is the focus. And we probably know that. I hope we do. But the psalmist is writing a song about it in case they didn't. Verse 10. For he sees wise men die, likewise the fool and the senseless person perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their houses will last forever, their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, uh, nevertheless, uh, man, uh, though in honor, does not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. I don't necessarily, um, I don't laugh at this, but I, I have, I'm 52 years old and I've lived long enough to watch people endow a university or endow a museum or endow somebody with their great vast wealth when they die to get their name on it or whatever, you know, whatever that may be on that building. I've lived long enough to watch the, the trustees vote to change the name because there's a bigger donor. And the ironic thing is all that money went to build that wing, but that money's gone and they need more money. And so the name gets erased. And this person who died and gave all this money thinking this is going to be the thing. And and maybe they really did care about cancer, or maybe they really did care about the museum, and maybe they did, but they really liked their name on it, obviously, because there it is. They didn't say this is the, the east wing of the, of the museum. They said this is the Kemper east wing of the museum, or whatever it may be. And so they love their name, and just a, a couple decades later, three or four decades later, they're, they're, they're out of money again. And so um, they, they ask old Bob, you know, Fruhaha over here and say, hey, Mr. Fruhaha, we, you've got billions. Do you mind? We'll name this wing. It's already been built after you. Hey, he, this guy's dead. Nobody even knows who he is anymore. But we'll put your name. This is the Fruhaha wing, you know. I want to be the Fruhaha wing. And there they go. And then 30 years later, they're out of money. And they do it again. People spend a lot of money going over to Egypt to look at the great pyramids. That is the epitome of man's foolishness. They built these huge, huge pyramids, absolutely stunning and beautiful. These are their, these are their burial chambers. And inside these burial chambers, all this treasure is stored up to help them in the afterlife, to to carry it all, you know, to get them started. You know, this this is your seed money to get your millions in the next afterlife as you cross, you know, go over the whatever it is you travel over. And your wives aren't dead yet, but we'll make sure they go with you. We're going to bury them alive with you inside of these places. And and then you have some wives too. So you have lots of wives, lots of money. We look at these things and we're like, wow, how did they ever build these things? And the point, there's such a bigger point to this. Not to, not, I'm, not, I'm not making a joke. But there is such a bigger point to it. Is that is man at his worst, at his absolute worst. 
I'm taking it with me. We joke around about the hearse with the U-Haul, you know? <laughs> There's no such thing. That's the ultimate U-Haul. That's all that is. I brought my wives. Those poor ladies, can you imagine? I don't mean to smile at it, but it's just so ridiculous. And then the ironic thing is, 50 years later, grave robbers dig a, you know, a parallel tunnel, and they steal all that gold out of there and take it home with them. You know, it's foolishness. And that's all the psalmist is trying to get at. We spend so much time, and, an, and, a, and a person who lacks understanding, the foolish, the person who's senseless, thinks that somehow or another, their name will live on forever. And that, that is the legacy that they have. Because they have no thought of where their soul, their spirit is. They've got to make sure that their whole world, this world, remembers them because that's the only way they're going to last. It's a waste of time. Verse 13. This is the way of those who are foolish and of their posterity who approve their sayings. Like sheep they are led in the grave. Death shall feed on them. The upright shall have dominion over them. In the morning... Uh, in the morning, uh, and their beauty shall be consumed in the grave, far from their dwelling. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. I mean, there's a lot there in verse 15. It says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 through 14, Jesus tried to get this point across. He tells the people, or asks the people, or begs the people, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. It isn't that most people are going to heaven. You ask almost anybody in America, are you going to heaven? Oh, yeah, I'm going to heaven. How, how do you know that you're going to heaven? Because I know I'm going to heaven. <laughs> I know, but how do you know? What's happened? Why? Why? Why you and, and not this other person? Well, because I'm a good person. And they go through the, the balance, the scales, you know, and we've gone over this before. I'm not Hitler. Hitler seems to be the weight, you know, as long as you're not any heavier than Hitler, you should be fine. I guess everybody above Hitler goes to heaven. And that's not how it is. That's not the case. And so the writer here is just simply saying, um, there is a, a redeemer, someone who's going to do for me what I couldn't do for myself. I don't have the money. There's enough money in the world for me to undo the wrongs. You can't bribe enough judges to get out of this. You know, I'm a criminal. I've broken the law. The laws of God are steadfast and true. And I've broken those laws because I wanted to live by the dictates of my own heart. And I didn't want to obey him. I didn't want to do what he wants me to do. I didn't, know what, I didn't want to do what was right. I wanted to do what felt right to me, not what was right, because there is truth. I didn't want to do the truth. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. Well, they get the penalty, and that's waiting for everybody. And God, knowing that and loving us so much that he sent his son Jesus to take that penalty for us, the penalty you deserve that I deserved, he placed upon himself. I go to the cross. He was sinless, but I'll take your sin with me to the cross, and I'll die for your sins. I'll pay the penalty that you're going to have to pay. The only thing you have to do is to believe on me, to believe that I love you that much, to believe that I sent my own son to die on the cross in place of you so that I could live forever with you. He's trying to take care of our spirits. He's trying to take care of our souls. He wants those. He wants us to be safe. That was Jesus's rescue mission. And the writer here is just simply bringing it out for people to pay attention to. But God will redeem my soul 
from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Verse 16. Do not be afraid when one becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. Though while he lives, he blesses himself, for men will praise you when you do well for yourself. He shall go to the generation of his father, or of his fathers. They shall never see light. A man who is in honor, yet does not understand, is like the beasts that perish. We had a, uh, a pregnant heifer. Um, she was to give birth sometime in June. It had been past June. And July had come, and we had already had one calf born, and so we kind of had an understanding of what to look for from the rear, you know, what we're looking for here. And uh, things were happening with this, with this heifer, and we can kind of figure it out. And we're, we're new to this, so, you know, we're learning. Um, um, and I knew that there was a possibility with a heifer that you might have to help her, you know, do a little pulling or whatever because it's new and first time and spreading hasn't happened and all that. And that's fine. I mean, we have YouTube, so we figured it out, right? <laughs> So, well, you know, it had been a while, it had been a while, and we weren't seeing any real signs, you know, of it. And so we came out um, one morning, and there was the calf. It had just showed up, and it was dead. And, um, but out and cleaned, and the placenta was over there, and everything was done, and all we can think of is spent too much time in the canal. Just, but but we, weren't, we weren't aware enough um, to spend the night out there. It, there wasn't enough indicators for us to know, you know what, I better just check on her every hour, every 30 minutes just to make sure. There just wasn't there. I mean, it still wasn't. Even after the calf was born, I'm like, where'd this calf come from? Because you look fine, lady, you know. Um, point of that is, well, we got to get rid of the calf now. Perfect little calf. Look just like mama. Just bugs me still when I talk about it. Because I was like, man, what a waste, you know. But I wanted to get rid of it. We needed to do something. And, and I'm thinking, you know what? I don't have enough time to build graves for all these things, you know? So I did the maybe not so compassionate thing, and I brought it to the back side of our property. And I just laid it out in the open, thinking it, it'll get taken care of, you know? It'll get eaten, whatever. Um, and so it's been two weeks, and I went back. We had some, I had my niece and my nephew. Uh, over, I said, well, you know, the nephew's here. I'm like, you want to go see a dead calf? You know, we're running out of things to do. You want to go see a dead calf? Sure. You know, it's look. the kid's like, yeah, I want to see a dead calf. Of course I do. So, all right. So we take the razor over there and we go look at the dead calf and there's no dead calf. I mean, there's nothing left of this thing, but bones and they're, they're dry. They're not wet. They're not moist. There's no flesh. There's no fur. There's no nothing. All I see is these bones. And I'm like, and a couple feathers. And I don't know where they came from. I suppose buzzards and then coyotes and all these things. There's nothing left of these things, you know. Um, when man dies and they're senseless and they think that somehow they're going to make themselves live longer, we don't do any better than that calf. By the time the worms are done with us and everything's done doing what it needs to do as far as decom- you know, decomposition, um, the, the decomposing of a body, it just doesn't take that long and there's nothing left. We go the way of the beasts and he just wants us to kind of recognize that. I mean, we, may, we pretty it up. We buy this and we buy that. We put this and we do this and we do that. But it's just the flesh and it's gone. How is the soul and the spirit though? And where are they? And what are they doing? And that's what the writer's trying to say. 
without worrying so much about this. Your beauty, I mean, you've seen mummified people kind of unmummified. You've seen pictures of them or whatever. Oh, this is a princess. I mean, you know, doesn't look like a princess anymore. It's like a shriveled up prune kind of thing. It's disgusting. You preserved nothing except terror, you know, and nightmares. Your beauty goes away. The, the body perishes. It falls apart. It's the soul and the spirit that is eternal. That's all that matters. And have we taken care of that in our lives? Are we more concerned about this, you know? Psalm 50. The mighty one, God the Lord, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to its going down out of Zion. The perfection of beauty. God will shine forth. Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous all around him. Jesus is coming a second time, and this is a prophecy about that when he returns. In John chapter 1, 9, it describes Jesus as being that light. John says that that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. I think that's what people experience for the first time. When they get drawn to God, they feel that pull. Is they got a, it's like headlights shined across them or something, and it got their attention, some light shone in their life. And they begin to look a little bit more at that light or look for it. And um, there's nothing like it um, to have that light. And, and, and Christ shines that light. That's what he came to do. In Hebrews 1.3, who being the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And again, the, the scriptures describe him as just bright. He is light in our lives. And so the psalmist says he's going to come and he's going to shine forth. It's going to be amazing. All the things that are done in secret. That, we spend so much time trying to find out what's going on in the dark, don't we? Hey, just look at Washington, D.C., We're just constantly trying to figure out what is going on in the dark. What's going on behind closed doors? We want what we call transparency. We want to get this counsel and this special counsel and this investigation because we're constantly trying to figure out what's going on in the dark all the time. None of us wants that. We all want to know, you know. When Jesus Christ comes the second time and shines his light, everything gets exposed. Everything. All of my sin all of it is exposed. All of it is out in the open. All of your sin. He says it's going to be shouted from the mountain's tops. It's going to be out there, you know. If you don't have Jesus Christ, if you haven't let him pay for those sins, then we still owe for those things. We're still obligated. There's a sentence waiting for us. It isn't hidden. Justice hasn't been denied. It has been delayed, but it will come. And when justice comes, then the light shines on all of us. It's going to devour. Verse 4. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together to me, those who have made a covenant with me by, uh, by sacrifice, meaning his sacrifice. Let the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I will not take a bull from your house, nor goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains, 
and the wild beasts of the field are mine. I know your sins is what he's saying. I understand where you are. I understand that you're offering up sacrifices, but what they have to understand, what he's trying to get across is, those are my animals. The fact that you're giving back an animal to me as a sacrifice isn't blessing me like, oh good, I'm a little richer. I'm going to devour you know, some mutton today, or I'm going to have some filet mignon since you sinned. That, that's not the idea. These were my creatures. These were all my... The fact that they're dead is supposed to affect you. It's supposed to change your heart that this little innocent animal had to die because you sinned. That's supposed to affect us. And so when he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, that's supposed to affect us. It's always been his son, just like these have always been his cattle. These have always been his animals. You're not surprising me. You're not blessing me. You know, I think some people when they tithe or they offer to God, it's like they're tipping the doorman or something. Hey, thanks. That was really good. Appreciate that. Here, here. Just between you and me, buddy. You know, uh, no, <laughs> no, 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 not at all. That's nothing like that. And that's a very dangerous cavalier attitude to have. No, no, no. The offerings that we offer up, God has prescribed for us to do back in the day, Old Testament, because that was the way of having a right relationship with God again. And likewise, now we have Jesus Christ. It's the right way to have a relationship with God again. He fixes that. He took those sins and placed them upon himself. It's a very simple concept, but the writer here wants us to understand that. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. You're not doing anything for me. I'm doing something for you. That's the idea. Um, Verse 12. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. That's from God. For the world is mine in all its fullness. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. This is how we have that relationship. Old Testament's a little different, but it was all foreshadowing what Christ would do. If you want to have fellowship with God in the Old Testament, you brought your sacrifice. It showed that you cared. It showed that you understood. You acknowledged the fact that it's sin. You wouldn't have brought a goat if you didn't think you needed to bring a goat. So you bring a goat because, or a sheep or a bull or whatever it is because you sinned big time last Friday night. And so here you go. You bring this goat. God sees all that happening. And that's, that's a whole picture of repentance. That's a whole picture of acknowledgement of your sin. That's a whole picture of, I'm sorry. I don't want to ever do it again. I'm bringing this innocent animal to take the place of me. And I pass my sins onto the animal, take it. And God sees all that and says, and the whole idea of him consuming it and doing all that is to show that it's accepted. It's just a picture. It's one big picture. The entire Old Testament is one big picture of one great event that happened 2,000 years ago at the cross. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This Lamb, when I bring this Lamb to Jesus, when I accept Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I take Jesus, I'm like, I believe on Jesus for my salvation. I'm acknowledging that I've sinned or I wouldn't be coming to Jesus. I'm bringing the Lamb that He prescribed, Jesus, to the Lord and saying, this is my sacrifice. There is no other sacrifice I can offer, but the one you offered for me. It's a very simple thing, but it gets complicated and it doesn't need to be. I don't need food, God says. I'm not hungry. I'm not up here starving, hoping that someone's going to bring me a bowl. No, it's not about what God needs. It's about our gratitude. It really is. 
offerings and tithes when we, when we do those, if we do those, that's out of gratitude. There's no need. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The fullness of the earth is his. It, it makes no difference. It's, it's about us. It's about our gratitude. These things that we do for the Lord and, 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 and alongside of him. Verse 16. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to declare my statutes or, uh, or take my covenant in your mouth? Seeing you hate instruction and cast my words behind you. When you saw a thief, you consented with him and have uh, been a partaker with adulterers. You, you give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done. And I kept silent. You thought I was altogether like you. But I will rebuke you and set them in order before your eyes. Now consider this, you who forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there, there be none to deliver you. Whoever offers praises glorifies me. And to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. There's some things he wants us to get straight here. First of all, we can't think that he's altogether like us. That's one of the hardest things, I think, when we come to Scripture, when we read the Bible that he wrote. It's written by men. It's written by over, what, 40 different authors. But it's, it's, the continuity of it is unbelievable. You can obviously tell there's one great author. It, it, it matches it. It blends so perfectly. This is spread over thousands of years that this was written by 40 different people that some of them never met each other or, or never even knew they were going to exist or did exist. And here they are. And we read it and we're like, this is like one person talking. That's a miracle. It's, it's strange to read. But my biggest problem is when I come to this is try to insert my personality into this. God's altogether like me, certainly understands. He's the big guy upstairs. God and I have an arrangement. We have an understanding. That's not what he says about himself at all. And that's what he tries to rebuke them. He says, look, you do all these things. You, you, you hold my covenant in your mouth and you declare my statutes. Yet this is what I see happening in your life. I see you still consenting with those who steal. I still think you, I still see you blaspheming other people and, 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 and defaming them and talking behind their back. I still see you committing adultery and all these things. That doesn't jive, God says. You think you can do all these things and hold my word in your mouth. And I'm telling you, you thought I was altogether like you. It's, it's a strong rebuke for us. Just because I have dealt with my sin in such a way that I've justified it in my life doesn't mean that God's okay with it. And just because I haven't gone to prison for it or gotten caught doesn't mean that God's okay with it. He's patient. He's long-suffering. But make no mistake about it. He's not like me. And he's not like you. He says, so I've got to rebuke you in this. This is what I want to see. Consider this, he says in verse 22. You who forget God. Lest I tear you in pieces because there's no one else to save you. We hear that a lot. That's kind of a catchphrase that we're using now as America. You know, this is the last bastion of hope for freedom, democracy, and so on in this world because there's no one that's going to come to save us. And we understand that. Probably very true. Probably very true. God says this on a much grander scale. If you disregard me, there's no one that can save you. There's no one that can save you. Um. I'm the perfect one. I'm the one that created you. I'm the one that created this earth and this world that you live in. You can't just throw me away. I'm the one who's here. And I'm the one who loves you so much that I made you. 
And I'm the one who understands that you've walked away from me and that you can't seem to find your way back to me. So I'm the one that reached out and put my hand out and said, I sent my son to die on the cross for your sins. Take my hand. You're drowning. You're dying. You're not going to make it. And it's up to us to respond and grab his hand. It says, he who offers praise glorifies me. You You want to glorify God? Praise him. Thank him. Gratitude. And to him who orders his conduct aright, in other words, he who tries to straighten out his life, not to get saved, but from that gratitude of salvation, and you start ordering your life and you're not doing what was just said earlier, I'm still a thief, I still commit adultery, I still have an evil mouth, and I speak, uh, my tongue speaks deceit, I slander people. Those things need to be ordered aright in our life. If I've come to know Jesus He doesn't just save me from going to hell. He also saves me from continuing to sin in those areas. He's not altogether like that us. He doesn't just understand our sin. He came to conform us into his image, to change us. And that's what he's asking. He says, then I will show the salvation of God. And that's where we close this morning. Isaiah 55, 9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. My thoughts, um, they just aren't that great. My thoughts about uh, my own philosophies about life, my own philosophies, that's what's gotten me into trouble so far. And I find myself searching for God in in these times, you know. And God says, my thoughts are, they're they're much better. They're higher. We may not agree you know, at first, you may not agree with God's thoughts or God's ideas, but, but he's here to tell us, you may not agree, but I want you to know something. They're better than your thoughts. And hopefully you will begin to agree with God's thoughts on the matter because they're better and they're higher. They're lofty. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning in your word. You, you're so honest with us and, and we want that. But we don't come to just be patted on the back or told that, Everything's okay, because in a lot of our lives, it's just not. And there's a lot of things that we've swept under the rug and a lot of things that we've gotten very comfortable with in our lives. And you're here to tell us that you see all those things and you're not okay with those things and that you want to touch those areas in our life. And so, Lord, we want to give those over to you right now. First of all, we want to acknowledge them as sin. And so we come to the cross of Jesus Christ and we ask for forgiveness for our sins. We repent of them. We turn from them. We know those things are not right. They're not according to your thoughts and your ways, which are much higher. They're, they're our ways, and you're not like us, but we want to be like you. So we acknowledge that you're right, and our sins are wrong. We thank you that your word tells us that Jesus died on the cross for those sins, and we accept that. We believe that. Lord, we desire to not only accept all these truths and to believe all these things in our heart, but to be born again that you give us a new mind and a new heart, a soft heart, one that's not so calloused and rocky, but one that's soft and open to everything you have for us. We want a new mind. We want to see the world the way you see it, not the way we've become or the way we've been taught to see it. We want to see it as it is, truly. So, Lord, we want to be born again. So, Lord, help us in these areas, Lord. The areas that you've convicted us of, Lord, we want to make our, our lives aright. We want to straighten these things out. That today is the day we say no more. No more of these sins in our lives. No more will we open our mouths and, and defile other people and, uh, and speak of them in evil ways, Lord. No more will we uh, commit adultery 
or fornication, Lord. No more will we steal or enjoy the fact that others steal. And we're going to get things right. We desire that, Lord. Um, We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.